Since 2015, Pop Health Podcast has brought to you some of the best minds in healthcare, including leaders from government, not-for-profit, and investor-backed powerhouses, as they share successes, failures, and how our audience can move forward in today's constantly evolving healthcare world. Thank you for joining us for today's episode presented by 24-Hour Home Care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of Pop Health Podcast. I'm Gavin Ward, host of Pop Health Podcast. In today's episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with Smitha Ravaputi, who is the CEO of USC Care and Ambulatory Care Services, as well as Sil Trepanier, who is Senior Vice President and System Chief Nurse Executive for Providence. Today's episode was taken from our very first live events for Pop Health Podcast that we labeled Pop Health Podcast All-Stars. And in today's episode, we had the opportunity to learn from both of these leaders about how ambulatory care plays a special role in their organizations and how the workforce shortage is really impacting their ability to deliver care. We hope you enjoy this session that was taken from our very first live event in November of 2021. Thanks, everybody. I'd like to introduce our two panelists for today's session, which is with leading what I like to say brick and mortar or pillars in the healthcare community. And so our first guest that I'd like to introduce, our first panelist is Smitha Ravaputi. Good morning, Smitha. Good morning, how are you? Doing great, how about you this morning? I'm good, thank you so much for having me this morning. Absolutely, Smitha. So Smitha is the CEO of USC Care and Ambulatory Care Services, which is under the Keck Medicine of USC umbrella. Uh, Smitha, many of my family members have received care at your organization, and um, I know you're my guest, and I should always say something positive, but truly, it's been a very positive experience uh, for them to receive care there at Keck. So great to have you on. Um, I know you have a background at CHLA, which is with a focus on children, whereas uh, Keck um, serves the whole population, but has a lot of adults as well. So we're going to talk about your experience, how you're able to transition that over from CHLA to uh, USC or Keck. And then also want to introduce uh, Sil Trepanier, who is a guest from this year's episode. Good morning, Sil. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much. Great to see you. Great to see you as well. So, uh, Sil, are you up in uh, Washington today? Yes, I am. All right. Sunny Washington State today. Sunny Washington State. Wow. How about that? (laughs) So, uh, Sil is the system uh, chief nurse executive for Providence. And many of you know, Providence has done some acquisitions over the year, and I I believe either is or is one of the largest health systems in the West Coast. So, so do you know if you are or or, or one of the? Yeah, yes, one of, uh, absolutely. In fact, uh, I think last week I was seeing uh, Becker's was announcing like the top, like the 100 healthcare system and from the whole nation were listed as the 10th uh, largest health system in the country. Okay, awesome. I may have shared it with you, Sil. I was born at Little Company Mary Torrance, which is, a, of course, a ministry, as, yeah. uh, as Providence likes to refer for folks, a hospital uh, in Torrance, California, which is Southern California. So good to have you here, Sil, as well. All right. Um, Smitha, we like to open up our episodes, uh, and we've done over 150 now. This is our first live, so again, appreciate you guys joining us live today. We like to get to know our guests a little bit. And so let's start with uh, maybe your favorite podcast. Sure. Thanks, Gavin. Good morning, everyone, to all of our listeners, um, and good morning, Sil. Um, I uh, I thought about my favorite podcast, and I have a go-to. Um, I'm a little biased when I give you my response, but my husband is a trial attorney, Rahul Ravi Pudi, and he started a 
podcast last year during the pandemic. And it was a way in which he and his colleagues thought would um, they could best connect with trial attorneys locally and across the country. And since then, I think they have about 18 episodes. He gets up early morning on a Wednesday once a month at six, and he's one of the hosts. His uh, colleague, Ben Gideon, is a co-host with him, and they essentially bring through various attorneys in their field and um, uh, ask that attorney a number of questions on their experience, what got them to where they are, and speak to some of the successful trial uh, strategies that any one of them have had the experience of. And so it's been a huge success for him. And I just love it because it's my husband and I get to hear more about what he's doing without having to hear from him directly at home. So uh, yeah, it's fascinating. So if anyone has any interest, I definitely would plug it for oh. any. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. We'll definitely give you that free plug and hopefully he can uh, hear this or, or see this and see that you're uh, giving him a shout out, which is pretty cool. How about you, Syl? Um, what would you like to listen to? You know, uh, so good morning, everybody. And uh, great to uh, great to see you, uh, Smith, uh, to spend uh, some time with you on this on this podcast. And good morning, everybody out there. Uh, honestly, I was thinking about this. I don't listen to podcasts that much. I hate to I hate to admit it. However, there is one that over the last two years I've been pretty religious about uh, about watching, and it's one uh, that's hosted by the uh, Institute of Human Caring, and it's a podcast called Hear Me Now. And the reason for uh, the reason for me uh, watching it and following it uh, now is really. Uh, I, I, it, to sum it up, it's it's it just fills my soul. It's it's a podcast that really uh, it's it's a place where people have really deep, meaningful conversation on one thing on things that matters to them. It's held, uh, I think it's twice monthly, if I remember correctly. And uh, no, it's, so it's it's healthcare uh, based, you know, in nature. Uh, it's about a place where. Uh, the, the the whole intent it's to is to meet the unmet needs of people of whether the patients themselves or or their loved ones or their caregivers or, or the community at large and they just go into like really in depth uh, conversation they uh, I've seen uh, I've seen them exploring like socioeconomic encounters with uh, and all sorts of issues that impact individuals uh, the collective sense of well being and it's just a good grounding feel good moment to help connect with people really uh, deeply and, and get to hear what really matters uh, to folks. And uh, that just, that just fills my soul. Awesome. And uh, what was the title again? I have Institute, is it Institute of Human Caring? The Institute of Human Caring is hosting it. And the name of the podcast is Hear Me Now. Hear Me Now. And I think, you know, hearing you respond that way, Syl, it really resonates with me and it reminds me of when we had you on uh, the episode um, that you were on, um, where you talked about your dad mm -hmm. and how at a young age, you know, you you took up the caring uh, for your dad. So it's really seemed at a young age, you've really had this passion to care for others. So it's pretty cool to see. And uh, thanks for sharing that. So let's uh, let's stick with you, Syl. I think much of the audience, uh, it, our audience is West Coast, but is a national audience. So for those of the audience that may not be familiar with Providence or may have heard of it. I mean, there's a lot of companies with Providence in the name. Can you give a brief overview of, of uh, who Providence is? Absolutely. So Providence is the integrated healthcare system. It's based in Renton, Washington. Uh, 
And we practice in seven uh, different states. So from, uh, from Texas, New Mexico, uh, California, Oregon, um, Montana, Washington, and Alaska. Uh, those are the states where we practice. So primarily in the Western, uh, Western states. Um, it uh, comprises of uh, 53 acute care ministries. And, uh, and uh, there's 120,000 roughly uh, caregivers uh, that, uh, that, are, that are joined in this, uh, in this family of organizations. And uh, 48,000 nurses uh, practice within, uh, within Providence has a pretty significant footprint, uh, footprint on the ambulatory uh, side. Uh, clinics, whether we're talking about primary or specialty clinics, there's over 1,085 and counting. Uh, of clinics that we that we have across the West Coast, uh, urgent care, surgery centers, imaging, ancillary services, and the likes. Awesome. So uh, quite a bit. Uh, let's go over to you, Smitha. So um, Keck Medicine of USC, can you give us an overview? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So Keck Medicine of USC, uh, part of it is obvious within our name, but we are an academic health system. We are we sit within the University of Southern California here in Los Angeles, and um, we have three hospitals. We have the Keck Hospital of USC, the Norris Cancer Hospital, and USC Verdugo Hills Hospital, which is located up in near the Foothill area. And um, our, our area of focus is predominantly in the tertiary quaternary space. And so we do see, um, uh, we have a significant disease um, burden that, we, that uh, sits at our front door. And yeah. from a patient management perspective, at here certainly here at Keck Hospital and Norris Cancer Hospital, a really high case mix index um, as we look at our population. That being said, we also have a significant spread out in the community from an ambulatory perspective and are approaching close to 80 different locations, um, mostly in Southern California. We do have a relationship with the Culinary Fund in Las Vegas and help provide management services to the ambulatory activity and their uh, facilities out there. And um, we have 1,200 providers that are within the Keck School of Medicine and service faculty and clinical uh, team members, along with our um, nurses and staff that sit both here on this campus as well as out in our various satellite settings. Great. And briefly, the case, case mix index. So I know a lot of our audience may be familiar with that, but a lot may not. Why is that an important uh, differentiator, I guess, for, your, for Keck or USC? Yeah, it's a great question. So the, the case mix index for uh, those of you on the call is uh, just a measurement of um, the complexity of the disease that you are treating in your facility. And um, it's important at Keck Medicine because it's truly a reflection of the breadth of specialties that we have and are training for and certainly speaks to the type of staffing that we need in place, the competencies and support of this very uh, complex care. A lot of our patients coming to us not only have, you know, one, but several um, diseases and or are in different stages of kind of their, their chronic care management. Um, and so from a we, and as a result, we serve as a referral center for to a lot of partners in our community, as well as throughout the country and in many cases internationally as well. 
Okay, awesome. So in your role, Smitha, at uh, Keck, and I always want to say USC, Keck, I always, I'll let you, uh, I'll let you explain it. Um, but you oversee and are the leader for ambulatory care. How would you define ambulatory care? Yes. Um, so ambulatory care, I mean, for me, like maybe the easiest way and I had the way I used to describe it is as a patient is leaving the hospital, they're entering into a space to receive care, whether it's on site in a doctor's office, off site in a doctor's office. And really in recent years, it's pushing care into the home. And so essentially, as we continue to look at getting to a more convenient, accessible environment, as well as a lower acuity. So when you start looking at treatment that can be done pre and post um, the hospitalization and or what's at the bedside, that's essentially where we fall in. And that's where we look at ambulatory care. It could involve imaging. It could involve a host of diagnostic studies lab. Um, as I mentioned, the doctor's visits, outpatient surgeries as well. There's been a significant push in our industry to get at outpatient surgery, push more interventional procedures into the ambulatory space so patients can come and go home within a day and get the necessary care in the comfort of their homes. Uh, telehealth, any sort of care that we can provide and render in that space is certainly, I don't know if one would necessarily define it as ambulatory, but it certainly supports the ambulatory space as our providers try to reach, reach patients in a, in a way that's more um, comfortable and convenient for them. Okay, awesome. Um, I heard a rumor, and I don't know if this is true or not. Um, I know USC has three uh, hospitals, medical centers. Um, are you partnering with other systems? I know your brand is very strong. Are systems looking to partner with you or affiliate with you at all? Yeah, we continue to look at that. Absolutely. That's certainly a part of our ongoing efforts to extend the services that we provide here up in Boyle Heights at the Keck Medical Center into the numerous communities that surround us, as well as the broader geography of Los Angeles and beyond. You know, our geography, and, and, and Sil can speak to this as well, it's it's, it's very concentrated, but and geography plays a huge role as it relates to access, accessing healthcare because traffic patterns, et cetera, in Los Angeles are, are just uh, a challenge. And so it's really important, important that we partner and find those that we can relate with in various communities so our patients, no matter where they're coming from, are able to access the care that they need. And so, yes, we continue to look at how best to do that and align with partners that are, are going to kind of further um, add to the model that we've established to date. Got it. There was a hospital in the San Gabriel Valley that um, is close to my home that I thought they had said something about wanting to affiliate with USC or, or doing something like that. So I appreciate you uh, mentioning that's a strategy you guys are looking at. So when people think this is this is for Smith as well. So we often think of, you know, health systems as hospitals. You guys are obviously doing uh, the ambulatory care as well. You have clinics. Um, you mentioned the outpatient surgery centers. Does USC own uh, outpatient surgery centers or, or more partner for now? We currently, I mean, we have our outpatient surgery facilities that are attached to our hospitals. And we, of course, are doing ambulatory surgeries throughout. But from a actual bricks and mortar perspective, we do not own any. We are in partnership and um, we are, of course, we continue to look at that. As, as I mentioned, our when you look at 
how we started and who we are at our core. We, it's really, um, there's, there's a high acute, heavy acute play to it. And so um, to that end, the ambulatory surgical piece is, wasn't front and center at the start, but it has continued to be part of our focus as we, again, are trying best to serve our patients and meet the needs of the communities that we're serving. Okay, awesome. Now, um, we'll get to the SIL in just a moment, but a couple more follow-up questions for, for Smitha. So a lot of your early career leadership experience came from Children's Hospital of Los Angeles, which clearly has a focus on a, a very specific population. What were you able to take, if you can be as specific as possible, what were you able to take from there and then apply it at USC? Yeah, um, one, I, I mean, having been, I worked at Children's for 10 years and it's a remarkable place. Um, it's a place that continues to be very close to my heart and it's, it's a gem for those of us that live here. And um, if you're ever in a need for that kind of care, it's a place to go to. I think that with that comes a, a, just a compassion and a mission that um, everyone there is oriented around. And that certainly has helped me and is transferable to any other health system. I think we all share that and still can probably double down on that. It's so important because everything we do is about that connection with our patients. Um, but in addition to that, when I was at Children's, all of our physicians there are faculty at the Keck School of Medicine. And so the relationship to an academic medical home, medical center and faculty, that clinician engagement, um, what that looks like, how you relate with um, physicians who are faculty within a medical school is, is very important. And it certainly has helped in my role here at Keck Medicine. It's what I love, actually. It's what I get up to do every morning is yeah. to partner with my uh, clinical faculty and look at how we can take on the various challenges that are they're presented with and make their lives better so that we can make uh, the lives that they're treating much better. Awesome. Awesome. Um, the children's uh, CEO um, was recently uh, awarded. I'm sure he gets lots of awards, but I was at an event and I, you can just tell that, like, yeah, like you mentioned, Children's Hospital Los Angeles, the the pillar status that it has uh, was pretty solid. So I think it's Paul was his first name. Yeah, Paul Viviano. Yeah, really well respected. So uh, obviously, you probably knew him and um, and learned a lot while you were there at CHLN and bring some of that expertise to Keck and USC. So before we get over to you, Sil, um, you mentioned partnerships, um, Smitha, and that you don't own necessarily the brick and mortar. Are you able to touch on any of the joint venture partnerships that uh, USC or Keck has, has been a part of? Um, yeah, so we, um, well, so you asked about ambulatory surgery. That is an area that we have a, had a joint venture in. And so, again, to be able to provide care locally, we've partnered with some uh, facilities in a way that um, is structured under JV. So that's one example. We are doing some work um, with another facility um, and it's more on service lines. The joint venture is service line based and so not kind of facility, facility, but more around the types of patients that we're seeing, um, cancer and orthopedic surgery. So we continue to look at joint ventures in that nature. And so those are areas that um, they're very targeted in terms of need and how best to approach. And again, in our market, those needs vary depending on where you're going and who's in each community and what is the, um, what is the best what are the needs of that particular community and how best we can serve it. 
Awesome. And speaking of community, while you guys are uh, based kind of near central or eastern LA, I know folks are coming from all over. I mentioned, um, you know, my family driving in from all over. I know you have international folks um, based on your expertise. In my early career, I actually, uh, Smitha, at um, with USC with a cardiothoracic vascular, I'm, I'm probably saying it wrong, but cardiothoracic uh, unit. Um, I placed uh, nurses there and it's a very difficult specialty. It took a really complex skill set. Um, so folks, the reason I bring this up is they, they when Smith is uh, saying this, I've seen it on the professional side and the personal side. So um, truly is something special what you guys are doing there at USC. So let's go over to uh, Syl, you. Since we're talking about ambulatory care with Smitha, can you briefly share in the West Coast uh, what Providence does with ambulatory care? I will. But before I do that, did you just say you were a nursing recruiter? Back in the day, yes. <laughs> I think we might. I, th I, th I think we might want to get you back into that uh, that game. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you'd have a lot of fun uh, doing this nowadays. Uh, you know, we're doing we're doing a lot. Many of what uh, Smith had described is very, uh, you know, is very similar in terms of what's what's happening at um, at Providence. But on you know on the West Coast more specifically, we have the we have multiple uh, clinics as uh, you know whether it's uh, primary or specialty uh, specialty care. I, I don't know the exact number of clinics that we have on the West Coast as opposed to the whole system. I, I, I forgot to break this down, but um, uh, it's 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 definitely you know close to the thousand uh, for sure. Because the, the you know when you if if I, I'd have to remove Alaska and then Texas, and you know really the majority is all on the West Coast anyway. So um, so a fair amount uh, there. Uh, and, and, and like, uh, not on like, I guess, uh, Keck and USC, uh, it's the same thing for us. We have as, as many, as many of those, uh, ambulatory sites, uh, we have the whole gamut of, uh, own and, and operated to joint venture to, you know, you, you name it, all the various, uh, all the various ways you see, you, you can see that particularly on the ASC and the, on the surgery centers uh, and the likes, and as well as imager, imaging and ancillary uh, services. We have urgent care, uh, uh, you know, in, in many, uh, in, in many markets uh, as well. And in, in some markets we've made, uh, those are owned and operated by us in other markets. We've made some, some partnership with, uh, with others. So that's the, uh, you know, that's a plethora of, of emulatory services. And, and one thing that, that Smith mentioned that we can't uh, emphasize enough is, uh, and, and, and I'll account for it within the ambulatory side is, is, is the whole virtual uh, care that's, uh, that's provided, which now has completely, I mean, there's no boundaries anymore, right? There really isn't. Um, so that's actually pretty, uh, pretty exciting to see how all of us have really hone in on this. Uh, and, uh, and I'm, I'm excited about the future of how we can actually leverage this because we're leveraging it on the ambulatory side, uh, very much so, but it's it's also allowed us to offer a much tighter linkage between the acute care and the ambulatory side as well. And, and I think that there's a lot of value for that. Definitely. And so let's talk about, you mentioned acute care and ambulatory. So when I was the nurse recruiter back in my young young career, and uh, uh, thank you for the offer, Sil, but uh, I'll, uh, I'll stay out of that. We're, and audience, we're going to touch on the workforce challenge and why Sil definitely wants help in just a moment. I'm sure Smitha can say the same. 
Um, but uh, so ambulatory acute care, right? So nurses in my time, you know, you have 48,000, you know, with Providence, many of them, I thought, oh, they're 12 hour shift nurses. They work in a hospital. That's what I thought. Right. And then I grew up and learned, oh, there's home health, there's ambulatory care. So in your experience leading 48,000 nurses, what's attracting nurses to ambulatory care versus the inpatient setting or acute care? Yeah. So first, first, I want to say, uh, man, am I so forever grateful and thankful for each and every one of them uh, as I have to start, I have to start there. So, and they have tons of options. I mean, uh, and and there's multiple reasons as to why one would want to choose uh, you know, ambulatory versus acute care. And even within ambulatory, within, within acute care alone, there's all tons of, uh, tons of opportunities and, and ambulatory, I mean, it's, is really large for some people, for some people, it's the population that they serve. That's going to attract them uh, and others. It's the setting. Uh, so if it's the setting, uh, you know, then, then one might want to consider uh, uh, ambulatory. And even within ambulatory, there's all sorts of other venues that we haven't even talked about here. I mean, one could argue that being a, uh, a school nurse, uh, for instance, uh, could be, you know, so is it ambulatory? Is it community? Uh, potato, potato. But uh, at the end of the day, it's outside of the acute care. So let's, so let's say that. And then there's, you know, home health. And uh, so there's like all tons of uh, population health. There's all tons of places where they can, but uh, each offers something uh, different and it's not made for, you know, for everyone. I'll, I'll tell you, uh, for example, I mean, I cannot stand the smell of burned flesh. I would make a horrible operating room nurse. I mean, been there a few times and I would visit whether it's an ambulatory center or whether it's an, you know, OR and an acute care ministry, I walk in there and if in the process of burning that, I mean, I just like, I just want, you know, they'd find me gagging in the corner of the, uh, of the room. So I, I know that ambulatory AAC OR, not the place where I want to be. So everyone has that thing that really, uh, number one, puts them off, but more importantly, really gets them excited about what is it that they want uh, to do. Uh, so there's, there's all sorts of, there are all sorts of really uh, practical, professional and personal reasons as to why one would want to choose that. Um, I, I also find that, uh, and it's changing very much so, as Smith alluded to that earlier today, we've had a pretty significant push of services that finds itself in ambulatory care setting that used to be in the acute care setting. And what, that, what that's done is that it's shifted a little bit of the, uh, of the acuity, which is, uh, which is higher to a certain extent in the ambulatory care settings where we didn't see, I mean, we take care of patients at home now that you and I would have never thought of right. doing uh, a few years ago. So it kind of shifted the acuity every place, every, every place to a certain, uh, certain extent. And uh, so, so that changes now the landscape of who might want to consider uh, practicing in a, in an ambulatory care setting, some ambulatory care setting, the, you know, the traditional older model was the Monday through Friday. Right. Uh, you know, we didn't practice on the weekend and certainly didn't practice on the night shift. Well, those ambulatory care settings now, many are operating seven days a week. 
They may not be operating 24-7, but they certainly have more than eight hours than they used to be. Um, uh, they do tend, though, not to, you know, to be open in, you know, in holidays and like. So there's something to be said about, you know, a young, you know, young family wanting to make sure that they have uh, reserve, you know, privileged time uh, to that they might, you know, for personal reasons, might want to choose to practice in those environments. No, that's great. Thanks, Sil, for breaking that down for us. So, uh, folks, you may remember Sil uh, about 10 minutes ago or so. Uh, joked about the nurse recruiter, but maybe not so much uh, joking. And uh, we'll get back to you, Sil, on that in just a second. But I want to shift back over to Smitha there uh, with you at USC on the ambulatory care side. Tell us about this. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll say nurses, but just in general as well. How has the workforce shortage impacted your ability to deliver care? And briefly, how are you addressing that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great question. And um... I know, you know, when it still may have been joking about getting you back into nurse recruitment, but that is no, it's not. <laughs> no. um, it is an area of uh, significant focus for all of us in, in healthcare space. I mean, recruit so many. I mean, you see it across industries. It's not unique to healthcare. I think all of us are reading about the the job phenomenon that post pandemic as we enter into this time and people having to to make choices or people opting to go different paths because of what they experienced in the last 18 months. I mean, it, it was a tough two years, almost two years now. And I think um, everybody has had a chance to connect with what is most important to them. And as a result have made choices, I, there's more flexibility I, with the advent of technology and what we were forced into so quickly due to the pandemic. There were a lot of gains made just to be able to create more flexibility for um, individuals who are working. And so where the job market has become so difficult, there the um, salaries have gone up and again positions are more attractive because you could do them at home and therefore people have been making um, choices to to in terms to pursue opportunities that are more attractive in addition to choices to no longer work and take care of um, those at home, especially as we continue to navigate the impacts of schools, school closures, and how schools are handling in light of the various um, max vaccine mandate or not. It all depends, right? And those protocols do vary. So I know that our staff and um, as we look at employee departures, that's been a big component in their decision-making. Um, so to that end, what are we doing about it? I, naturally, it's, you know, recruitment is a challenge. Um, so we're looking at various strategies to get out and whether it be the traditional job fair or um, other additional ways of getting individuals into Keck Medicine and attracted to the position. We are fortunate. I think, um, you know, there's a reputation that our uh, institution has. And so, you know, once here, I think people um, are able to be great ambassadors of their experience. And so what their experience was like during the pandemic has certainly spoken volumes and is a testament to what we as an organization do for our people. And so that helps and trying to leverage that and that story so that people know that we do, you know, we take care of you and we're, we're going to do everything we can to ensure that you've got a positive work environment, one that's safe and um, that we keep that top of mind. Um, 
the, uh, you know, where as a leadership team, we're looking at how we also need to make adjustments to our work environment. You know, I think not unlike other industries, what percentage of our workforce will continue to be working remote? How do we better support that for them what, through technologies? And how are our policies going to support that? And then as individuals return back to campus, what is that transition like? I mean, it's a big change for people who haven't seen one another for so long or were used to sitting next to a desk mate or a suite mate and that person is no longer there because they have um, opted to stay back at home. And so those transitions and paying attention to them and knowing that there is a care and a feeding that is necessary to ensure that our individual employees can thrive is, is a big focus for us. So I think it's a little bit, you know, I think there's numerous um, initiatives that are underway that we're leading to help inform what our future state is going to look like. I think one thing is for for certain, and that is it will not look the same. Right. Um, there are things that we have learned a lot of ourselves and of our people that we want to make sure that we preserve and that we um keep top of mind as we go into the future. There are certain um, areas of our uh, environment that are not necessarily, um, you know, the face-to-face component isn't necessary. And so to that end, how can we be more creative with our recruitment strategies? How can we go not necessarily within our communities, but also beyond and look at talent acquisition in a different, through a different lens. Um, Those are things that we are now afforded and we've got to make sure that we're actively kind of kicking the tires on those strategies. Thanks, Smitha. Um, And clearly folks from Smitha's answer, there's not a secret sauce here, right? There's no, uh, we're all facing these challenges. And I want to give you uh, still the opportunity to maybe share what Providence is doing with the nursing or workforce challenge. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if anything, we need to we need to be learning from our from this experience, right, uh, Smitha? And we uh, there's certain there's certain things that uh, it's very clear we we just we just can't we just can't do it the same way anymore. Uh, that's that's pretty obvious. You know, I, I mean, look, we were heading into a nursing shortage to begin with, and the pandemic pandemic just simply accelerated it. Uh, for you know, for everyone in this uh, in the country, it's just a perfect storm. The boomers are retiring at a much faster pace than ever. Boomer nurses, uh, some are exiting the profession because the pandemic just did them in. Uh, it is it's just happening all over. People delayed care so long now that now that we're faced with this increase of very sick people showing up in all sectors of healthcare. Uh, nursing schools are turning away candidates to our profession due to a lack of of uh, faculty in some cases, in some cases, lack of clinical sites. But something that we need to mention though, you know, in California, the Board of Nursing is capping schools for pre-licensure programs. So, and I don't know that everyone understands that. And you heard me correctly, you know, some schools are being given limits on the number of students that they can take. They can actually could take more, but they're being told no. Uh, as if the shortage was not enough, we have our own barriers to face, yeah. uh, and and something that we really need to rally on because that just that just doesn't make any sense to me. 
Um, so what are we doing about it? Much, uh, you know, much similar approach. Uh, we, uh, we just launched uh, a, a robust system-wide workforce strategic plan. Um, I happen to have the pleasure of co-chairing our workforce council for the whole system with our chief people officer. Uh, this fall, we announced an investment of $220 million to celebrate our incumbent workforce to retain the same and also to attract others to, uh, to join us. So, see, you would actually have a budget to work from uh, for, for your recruitment. Uh, we're increasing the number of talent acquisition personnel. Uh, we expect to hire a significant amount more in the next uh, in the next few years. You know, in the next two years, we're probably going to be doubling the number of people that we need to uh, to hire. You know, to that end, uh, I'm, I'm sure that uh, Smith, you guys are probably leveraging as much as as I do. Uh, we uh, our number one pipeline is really new graduate nurses. Uh, you know, graduating in. Um, from all the various nursing schools that we have uh, around us. So we're doubling our number of nurses that are going to go through the clinical academy, which is our way of transitioning nurses into practice for new grads. But it's also about a fellowship for transitioning into specialty. So on the new, on the transition into practice side, uh, by the end of the year today, we will probably will have hired 3,000 uh, new graduate nurses, uh, and I want to have 6,000. Uh, wow. next year uh, wow. so we're and and we're likely going to be able to do uh to do uh, just that so so the so to the new the new grads out there uh, everyone knows it's important to to find an employer that will uh that will invest in your uh, in your transition so be looking out for a residency uh program for new graduate nurse and those who are out there practicing and want to change specialty or go into a specialty um uh, one should also be transitioned uh, through a, a robust fellowship, and that's something that we're uh, we're focusing uh, we're focusing on. But lastly, you know, what I would say is we're being very deliberate about exploring uh, exploring new ways to deliver care, uh, so that we can reduce the burden on nurses, uh, so that we can ensure that they practice the full extent of their license and knowledge. Um, I am a very um, I'm not necessarily surprised, but I am now faced with uh, with some data that I'm looking at where I'm seeing that there's a significant amount of time that our nurses are documenting on stuff that we they don't need to be licensed to do Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And uh, so we need we need to uh, we need to act on this. We, we th this is just unsustainable. So uh, we need to unpack this and figure out different ways to uh, to better support the people, uh, the people that we serve. Absolutely. So, and if you want to, uh, uh, we got to wrap up here, but um, I actually have a potential solution for that. Um, if you're interested on the, on the documenting, we can chat after. Okay. Sounds but, good. Um, yeah. Um, so folks, uh, Smitha, Sil, I'm sorry to, to cut us short because um, there's more that I want to talk to you guys about, but we do our next session uh, coming up here at 11. So um, Smitha, Sil, LinkedIn. I know Sil, Sil, you're active on LinkedIn. So folks, feel free to follow him there. Smitha, if uh, folks want to keep tabs on, on your leadership at CAC and USC, are you active? Do you do announcements there? How folks can, how can they keep up? Yeah, LinkedIn is a great place to, to be able to stay connected. Awesome. Well, again, Smitha, Sil, thank you so much 
for investing time with us today, sharing your expertise. Uh, folks, again, this will be recorded or this is recorded. It will be on YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts, et cetera. So if you didn't catch all of it and are here for the 11 o'clock session, um, it will be available in the weeks and months to, to come. Smitha, Sil, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, thank you. It was all a right. pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And if you have and want to check out other episodes, visit us at pophealthpodcast.com, iTunes or Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, and now YouTube as well. Take care.